Hey y'all, Corey here. We've got a really exciting topic for you today. So exciting that we talked about it for an extra long time. So today's episode ended up getting split into a two-parter. We have part one for you today. We were also very excited to talk about The Haunting of Blind Manor, which we do quite a bit during the first half of the episode. So if you haven't seen it yet, or if you haven't seen Haunting of Hill House, fair warning, there are hella spoilers in this episode, so you may want to skip about minute 14 to about minute 33. Enjoy part one of our chat about why growing up Catholic makes you spooky. Look out, something is going to get you tonight. Let's talk about the thing that's going to get you tonight. Welcome to the Happy Harvest Horror Show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Brian, and this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show, and it's not just us two this week. We have a very special guest. Connor is in the house. Woohoo! Connor! Hello, everybody. Connor is a good friend of mine from New York City, and he is joining us to talk about a spooky topic today. Well, before we get into it, I just wanted to first do a shout out to a friend, Jody, who is a new sponsor, I guess, of our show. So thank you so much, Jody. Yes, thank you to our new uh, monthly supporter, Jody, along with uh, Jennifer, our other monthly supporter on Anchor. We really appreciate y'all helping us make this content. And if you are enjoying Happy Harvest Tour Show and you got some spare change lying around you want to throw our way, you can head over to anchor.fm slash hhhs slash support. You can become a sponsor of the Happy Harvest Tour show they make it super easy there's a few different levels and yeah you just like sign up and you know throw some of your spare change our way so we can keep making spooky content thanks so much for mm-hmm. all all of you out there listening all of you out there writing itunes reviews and yeah thank you jennifer and jody we really appreciate you hell yes okay so now we can get on to the show before we get into our fun spooky topic first off we should start with our guest connor how spooky has your week been? How spooky has my week been? It's actually been a little extra spooky this week. Yes, we love to hear it. My job right now is that I'm an elderly care companion. And so I spend a lot of time with the elderly. And spending time with the elderly also means that you're faced with your own mortality quite often. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. Mm. And mm. that that was um, especially... Uh, in the room with me this week. I won't go into too much detail about it. And nobody died, so okay. we can't we can't freak out about that. But I was Connor, just how I was just you was your week. Well uh, it was full of corpses, everyone. <laughs> um, it was just raining corpses. Yeah. But but I will say it did it did have me contemplating mortality more often than I usually do. And I feel like I'm someone who is contemplating that more often than most people usually are. So it was very, very heavy uh, on my mind this week. Yeah, I feel that. I feel uh, on the 
contemplation of mortality thing. I have a uh, like personal kind of, I guess, goal, interest, uh, dream, if you will. I would really like to be like a death doula, like one of those people that like mm. helps oh. people Whoa. pass pass on like i'd like to do that that's intense and like you kind of sound like a superhero like the death doula mm-hmm. you know like that's the that's most... got a lot that's got a lot of power behind it right just yeah oh my gosh i feel like that requires so much wisdom that i don't know if i'll ever have <laughs> you know right. so much yeah and i don't um, know why but the the idea sounds uh sounds great to me like it sounds very yes. <laughs> very uh something that i feel like i'd be very comfortable uh in that position so at some point in my life when i am just more stable and have have more time available to give to something like that i'd like to do that i feel like that yeah. would be a cool thing so and- i I understand you on the contemplating mortality all the time. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, what else? What else? Corey, how spooky was your week? How spooky was my week? Oh, I went on a cute autumnal camping trip. Oh, yeah. I saw those pictures. Yeah, which was fun and spooky and a good time. Um, it was it was more cute than spooky, but like kind of spooky. We had like a like projector and we watched my favorite show in the entire world over the garden wall. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, you know, we had a spiked apple cider and bonfire and it was just nice. it was just a cute autumn time but also you know kind of spooky camping's always kind of spooky it's always yeah oh, yeah <laughs> like it's always the, a little a little weird a little freaky yeah the threat of an axe murderer is just like omnipresence always like, there who's in these woods dude mm-hmm. speaking of that's so funny you bring that up <laughs> <laughs> You said something because I was getting to the axe murderer part of it. (laughs) You really enjoyed Over the Garden Wall. We had we we had an axe and uh, and one of us was very savvy with the axe and he showed the rest of us how to chop wood with the axe and we had a whole conversation. I was like, "Why are axe murderers like such a thing?" So the axe murderer energy was actually very present for the trip. <laughs> Big axe murderer energy. Yeah, and definitely. Before I went to bed, before I got in the tent, I was like, "We should probably make sure the axe is like." in the car like somewhere right somewhere where where a potential murderer can't get to it (laughs) can you imagine being a murderer who only murders people using weapons that they had on them oh shit like the axe murderer just shows up he's like i don't got anything i hope they have an axe in their car (laughs) they've got their own like engraved handles and everything i don't use anything but my own certified tools it's like ron swanson of murderers like you won't use Uh, Brian, how spooky was your week? It's pretty spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I have to first give a shout out to my mother who just sent a care package from Vala's Pumpkin Patch. Love ya. Love ya, Mm -hmm. Wendy. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. She sent over. I'm currently, if you hear a little gnawing in the background, I'm because I'm chewing on a honey stick. I'm so jealous right now. And it's so tasty. And the room is filled with the air, uh, the smell of this candle, which is candied apple scented. <gasps> and it smells so good. She also sent uh, mold cider tea bags and a jar of apple pie preserves that I'm going to put on everything. I'm just going to cover myself in it. I can't wait. So 
I love my mom and I have a little bit of Valda's pumpkin patch. If anyone else doesn't know about Valda's pumpkin patch, make a pilgrimage because it is the best place on earth. This family run little pumpkin patch in, outside of Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. That's more than a pumpkin patch. It's like, it's an experience. It's a. <laughs> Are they one of our ad- advertisers? They're going to, we're going to come and run an ad for their pumpkin patch. <laughs> I will right be <laughs> the shill. For Ballast Pumpkin Patch for the rest of my go. life. They are this family run. They, they like every year they add something new to it, like an apple pie barn or a corn maze or a dog shit. Like they, it just keeps growing. And now it's an just this like basically like this, this DIY sort of like wholesome, but super kind of dingy sort of place. But it's, it's like a, it's like a autumnal amusement park. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's the best. Place. Yeah, they've got pumpkin cannons. They've got apple slingshots. Oh they've got little haunted houses. They've got they got everything. I'm gonna actually now that you bring that up, I'm gonna for our listeners out there that are following us on Instagram, I'm gonna post because you and I have have taken a few trips to Valas together in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got some some really just like cute. A friendship group photos at like the pumpkin patch that I think I'm gonna post on the Instagram for everyone. To oh, it's heaven! It's heaven. So I I am very grateful to my mother for sending this package because she was there last week and I I I got emotional when she sent me the picture. She's like, "Guess where I am?" and I was like, "Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's where I want to be." I'm gonna put this out into the universe. I'm gonna manifest this. I would love to do Happy Harvest Horror Show live at Vala's Pumpkin Patch. Oh, oh man. Next to like the, the animatronic dragon. Yes. The, what? That eats pumpkins. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Connor, this place is insane. <laughs> I'm going to Nebraska tomorrow. <laughs> Words I never thought I'd say. <laughs> that's that's one thing that happened this week. Another thing is there was another film festival that a friend of mine also basically split tickets to see one movie, and that is Possessor brendan cronenberg who is david cronenberg's son and this movie was supposed to come out in theaters technically now but i can't go to any theaters to see this movie um so this was like one of the many casualties of 2020 that i was going to miss this movie but that was amended this weekend where we all split this festival ticket for this online festival just to see this one movie and it was rad it was all about this it's basically like sci-fi body horror is what it is Mm, where There's this basically assassin that possesses really through kind of like inception sort of thing. They, they possess another person and then they like do all these deeds or whatever. But the movie's all about the longer you're in this other person's body, the more you're unable to differentiate you from them, you know, that kind of classic story, but it gets really gritty and dark and, but it was great so keep an eye out for it it's coming out in december possessor is what it's called oh i can't wait for that i am obsessed with the idea of possession so yeah yeah very uncomfortable movie but big fan big fan so that was great and uh i don't know what else was fun i feel like we would be remiss if we did not mention that the halloween I received mine in the mail today. Do you like your little contribution? Yes, I'm so thrilled. I couldn't believe I had the first entry. I was shocked. Oh, I was no, shocked. Yes. If anyone is unfamiliar on our Instagram, I have posted the Halloween that my partner and I worked on, which is just like a, a little book, like sort of little magazine celebrating Halloween in this time. And there's still time if you want to get one before Halloween you should go to our Instagram and follow the steps to get one because Connor did a contribution and recommended a bunch of books and movies you can read during your Halloween time. Yes. And our dear friend Casey put in some costume ideas and now I'm torn between crispy boy 
and <laughs> Grandfather Crocodile, to which she said, why not both? So I was like, the crispy gran- Grandfather crispy Crocodile boy. boy. What is a crispy boy? I don't know, but I would you have a fun time figuring it out. My, my favorite my favorite costume idea that she put down was the sleepwalker defense. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> he blamed the homicide on the sleepwalking. Right. Uh, I love oh that. Oh, my God. Do you guys have Halloween costumes planned yet? Walls and I we're or maybe we're still planning we might just do it for ourselves because there's nowhere to go but we were going to be bill and ted oh, this year oh cute. we go on an excellent adventure what about you so i'm actually going i'm going to be going to california for a few weeks no oh. yeah i'm going to be uh meeting up with my my art history babes Hmm. are you guys doing a halloween thing well of course we are <laughs> you have to. no choice we, we are very much doing a halloween thing we've done several group costumes together and this year the four of us are going to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse oh my oh, god man. that's i'd beautiful. love to see how you conjure that up that'd be really fun i can't believe i've never seen that done before that's such a good idea yeah i'm i'm excited about it, it i think it's gonna be really good i think it's gonna be really fun uh and and also uh, very timely. So, <laughs> yeah. Which horseman are time. you? Just in time. I'm I'm war. War, okay. rad. Did you uh, did you see Good Omens on Amazon? The Neil Gaiman adaptation of his book. No, I haven't finished all of it, but I have started it, and I did enjoy. I can't remember why I didn't keep watching it. I oh, feel terrible okay. for not it having was, continued to watch it. Was it so but wonderful. I loved it. It was, yeah, it's all about uh, an angel and a demon played by Michael Sheen and David Tennant, who are longtime friends that will maybe bring about the apocalypse. But anyway, they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse are characters in it. And war is played by, oh gosh, what's her name? From The Killing? She was in... Oh, right. I did get far enough to see the horsemen. um, So I do remember that, um, but I can't conjure her name off the top of my head. Well, I, I bring it up for Corey. You could look into what they did. Because they were, it's very untheatrical. It's not, they look like real people. Yeah, we're also going to be recording in our costumes. We're going to record a podcast episode about depictions of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. (laughs) Amazing. Perfect. So yeah, that'd be a good thing to bring up then. Yeah. Speaking also on shows and other depictions uh, that we've all seen, we should not move on without talking about Bly Manor. Ah, uh, yes. I knew, uh, yeah. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> it was it was kind of a stretch to make that transition. I was like, oh, man, I'm really doing some mental gymnastics. I was, I know, I was to... really bracing myself. I was like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I hope that I'm ready for it. <laughs> so last week we talked a little bit about it, but I hadn't finished it. So this week, if you haven't finished Bly Manor, we're going to we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. We'll put in the show notes when we're done talking about it. If you want to avoid spoilers, let's get into it. Let's talk about Bly Manor. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Hannah Gross deserves better. That's just oh my, my god, Hannah my Gross statement for it. Best character. 100%. Hannah Gross was just oh my god, everything. I loved her so much. I want the words Hannah Gross in Paris tattooed on my body. <laughs> god. <laughs> <laughs> That is like the most, just the most October of 2020. <laughs> just like in cursive across my chest, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to get a tramp stamp, but you do it, whatever you want, Brian. No, I'm, I want to wear all my V-neck shirts so you can see it always, you know, Hannah Perfect. Gross in Paris. Hannah Gross. Oh, I just loved her so, so much. There was a part of me that knew that was coming in a way. that like There was parts of me that were yes. clocking like, yes. you're not eating. Why aren't you eating? Why are you always exactly. here? Why do you keep disappearing? Yes. Like, I, had a, I, I didn't put it together that she was a ghost, but I had like a, there was like a hunch that I'm like, I think you might be. I thought... And and I, I know I know this is very intentional, but I thought it was like an Alzheimer's. Definitely. I think they're oh, they're definitely yeah. pushing that. Especially with Owen's mother. Mm-hmm. Before you find out that Hannah was actually dead, like there was a lot of parallels with Alzheimer's. And I was yes. like, oh, yes. like, does she have it too? And then obviously there's a, the overarching theme of this, like jumping through memories, which is very much a... Very much. I think that it was beautifully done. It was beautifully done. I... I was reminded of another show that did a very similar thing that Connor will know too with Castle Rock season one. With, oh, I love did you watch Rock. Castle Rock? Okay, cool. So you would know the the Queen episode where she also um, was struggling with dementia, yeah. right? And she would yeah. put chess pieces around the house to remind her, no, this is now yeah. versus then. You know. Yeah, season one of Castle Rock was great. I didn't care for season two. Oh, I love two. Oh, I have I have reverse feelings. It's in the it. same way. I feel like two is amazing. I feel like season two, season two suddenly made season one make sense. <laughs> interesting i was like so on board with season one and then season two i got like really bored i thought season one was cool i was i think connor and i talked that like halfway through season one i was like this is playing out like a show that i think is going to get canceled but i still enjoyed it i had fun time but i feel like the annie wilkes origin story was just my god so good and she did it so well it was i i heard kathy bates and everything she did and but yeah she was able to do such a, a spot on kathy bates and then also completely bring her own thing to it it was like the perfect marriage of like homage to the character and then also adding her own you know everything else that she, that she brought to right it. Um, yeah but on Bly Manor you we this is similar because well Corey you were saying that you preferred season two Bly Manor to season one and mm-hmm. I want to get into why okay so to be fair I want to rewatch season one um Haunting of Hill House again I'm actually like kind of sitting on it and I think I may be more of like, I liked them equally maybe than that's fair. I I definitely, there's something about Bly Manor that for me personally, like I'm just such a one, I'm such an emotional person. And two, I, I am just a sucker for an ending and haunting at Hill house has a great ending too. So I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. to otherwise, because it is a great ending, Yeah, but I, about the ending of Bly Manor it was just it was nothing I could have ever expected and it was so beautifully done mm-hmm. and, and it took me yeah. on this journey I just could never in a million years have expected it to take me on yeah and that is just like such a triumph for me personally like in terms of of content like if a show or a movie surprises me and makes me feel something deeply it, that it, that really resonates with me and that is what Bly Manor did like it the fact that they took this show and it was horror and it was spooky and it was mm-hmm. scary and then they managed to successfully very successfully weave a love story out of it I just thought that was brilliant I just thought that was so well done and so unexpected yeah and, yeah. 
and it got me. I oh, that last episode, I was crying the whole episode. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful and it was so good and it it hit something very human mm-hmm. that I just was not expecting at all. And so that wins. That being said, Haunting of Hill House is still fantastic. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from that. Yeah, what I think they both do so well, and I hope this anthology keeps going. I hope they find different ways because that's what I love about ghost stories more than anything is there's no shortage of allegories you can put into ghosts. Ghosts can be memories. Ghosts right. can be like this one. It was memories and love stories. It can be like in the first season, grief and it's scary, you know, and I think that's why Hill House hit harder for me is the the grief elements of ghosts. That makes sense. Like the the episode, yeah. what was it? Six, the storm episode, the two storms where they go to the, the funeral and the oh, funeral yes. home and it, and it goes Brilliant. back and forth. Oh, I was a yeah. mess in that episode. And yeah, definitely we pull from real experiences but i i got so many vibes from when my father passed a few years ago and being in that funeral home and just like having that's what i love about these shows so much is they weave the horror into the emotion that's having on so well that it's hard to it doesn't feel like it's tacked on or in the wrong place it feels like they're complementing each other and heightening it yeah it's very organic it's very organic and that that episode was just like this is yeah this is all scary this is all horrible and just like in this blind manner at the end with just the idea of ghost being memories and into flora and miles they don't even remember it you know yeah. that the that this is something that they blocked right. out and and you think about all the things that when we were kids what are we blocking out you know that we've just forgotten chosen not to process anymore and i think ultimately too i think in horror stories if you have not struck an emotional chord i think you've really missed an opportunity because at the end of the day ultimately it's people that are haunted Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's not it's not really about i mean sometimes it is very much about the place but a place being haunted means nothing until there's a person to interact with that exactly that's how you're not about a house being haunted it's about a home being haunted right right so if so if you're not going to bring it back to what's the what's the human story going on here then you've sort of missed the point of the genre. I 100%. Totally. I must say also that I watched all of Bly Manor <laughs> while I was at work, looking after somebody. I mean, responsibly while I was at work. <laughs> looking, but but looking, looking after someone who has dementia. Interesting. Yeah, I was there the whole time. And, and I didn't know, of course, that that's, you know, the Bly Manor was going to touch on that in any way at all. But it was very strange to like watch it within f- the whole thing within like 48 hours. Yeah while I was caring for this person going, th- going through that experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Damn, that's, it's hard. It's so interesting how each of us kind of have our own little personal experiences that we attach to more in this show. Like Brian, you bringing up the, the grief element and the mm-hmm. funeral element. And like, I know for me, one of the most like hitting moments in Bly Manor, which is probably one of the reasons why I, I kind of choose it out of the two the two seasons is like one I do personally just I relate to the character of Danny a lot. Mm-hmm. I relate to her more than I relate to any of the characters in Hill House. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then just the scene where Danny's kind of just talking about feeling like she's like in a jungle and like something following her and like expressing like the things that are inside of her and then having someone that wanted to be there with her be there until the you know the monster came yeah yeah to like witness it with her yeah Yeah. like 
just that I oh god I cried so hard oh, like I'm getting kind of chills just thinking about it, like at the end yeah yeah do you want someone to keep you company while you wait for this monster right. yeah like, yeah I do <laughs> that was the reason I loved it too because it, I thought this season was much more of like a gothic romance versus like yeah, a scary definitely. story of the first one and gosh just the idea at the end where Danny you know invited Viola in and when she goes back and, and jumps in the river or in the lake and um, she's like, Oh, please no take me. And well, I can't, I'm going to butcher the line, but the line just made like broke my heart where they were like, but she wouldn't take her because it, but she was also Danny and Danny would never. And it was like, Oh my God, right. that like killed me. And that's, that's perfect Gothic romance that yes. it doesn't have to, it's not jump scares. It's not, it's, it's haunting I, thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that I, I didn't, Going into it, I didn't know that that was the tone it was going to take. Yeah, and so I was ultimately I was very satisfied, but I was disappointed that I never was really genuinely scared of anything in a Same. way that I felt like Hill House did some things that I was like, "Ooh, I've never seen that before," and that kind of freaks me out. And the three of us, being people who are so familiar with the genre, I feel like it takes an awful lot to actually scare me because I'm just too interested in it to be scared. I'm mm-hmm. too I'm too excited by all of it to actually feel fear related to anything going on so to really to actually do something that's going to scare me kind of takes a lot so yeah yeah i think it's yeah yeah, there are two different houses and i think we were texting each other during it and talking about the differences and how watching hill house i was i felt that place was always haunted you know there was always i was i was scared looking for things in the background and ghosts that were watching whereas this one i think you even said made the quote that blind manor is different blind manor is a great good place you know and that even though that i were there was occasionally ghosts that i was i wasn't hunting them watching the show as like i was during hill house right because it didn't feel scary. It felt almost welcoming and sad versus like sinister and scary, you know? Yeah. Because Bly Manor, yeah, definitely was a great good place. Whereas Hill house is hell essentially. In a way. Yeah. And in, you know, in Shirley Jackson's book and everything, the way that she talks about the house, it's very much like this manifestation of like outer darkness, you know, it's really an awful place. (laughs) I guess I would probably agree with the idea that Hill house is just scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Which one I thought was better? Bly Manor. So it's like they're different things. For me, yeah. That's I guess. fair. There were moments of Hill House just with everything, with the hanging, the snack, oh, snapping. Yeah. Of- the floating yeah. guy with the bowler hat in the hall. Yeah. The, oh my gosh. The yeah. The jump scare in the car, which legitimately made me jump. Like I've never watched a TV show, right. a TV show where I've jumped out of my seat, and that happened in Hill House. I feel like what Mike Flanagan did was that with Hill House, it was like we're gonna hook you with the horror story, but then surprise you with like the fact that it's actually a very emotional story yeah. about a family and about grief. Mm-hmm. And then now that he's built an audience based off that, I think then you have the luxury of going. Okay, now I'm gonna. This next story that I'm gonna tell is a ghost story, but it's not. I'm not necessarily setting out to to scare scare the hell out of you with it as my primary motivation. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe that you will want to go on this story. Hell yeah, regardless. Yeah, it also just speaks to on a more like existential level. Like, what is scarier? Like, is a oh yeah, like someone you know with a broken neck scarier, or is like the idea of you know are these concepts of being lost in your own memory or like right. feeling alone or like yeah loneliness like is that scarier you know right. being being dead and not knowing that you're dead yeah. Um, yeah. like i will say oh i one thing i do want to bring up in terms of just 
Bly Manor and just gut-wrenching scenes. The scene where uh, Miss Jessel realizes she's dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, where she's, like, as a ghost, like, standing on the edge of the lake, like, screaming. Yes. And Flora is standing there watching the whole thing. Like, oh, my God, that was painful to watch. That was painful. Right. Yeah, no no surprise that Florida blocked that out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Growing up. And I, I like that it sort of incorporated that idea, you know, that you hear of, like, hell is repetition. Mm-hmm. And how often they were revisiting the exact same moments. And I, I thought especially, I was glad that they gave that moment to Peter Quint and his mother. Yes, yes. Because it, I was like, it gave us ju- it gave us just enough to just enough dimension to him that we didn't hate him. We get it yeah. that we that we don't have to hate him. And we kind of get it, but it didn't overdo it to where we're like, okay, so now are we supposed to? put you on the same level as Hannah Gross. Yeah, we, never, you know? yeah, we, we, we um, could understand them without yeah. sympathizing. But also that scene, no, I loved that scene. That was also a favorite scene because yeah. it touched on um, something that, oh, this is like perfect transition material because I think it speaks so much to what we're going to talk about in this episode. That scene with Peter Quint and his mom really touched on like so perfectly illuminated the thing that happens as you get older and you get into your late twenties and thirties and you start to look back on your childhood and realize what aspects of it were fucked up. Right. <laughs> start playing it over and over. And yeah. And like, and how it becomes, it's a completely different thing. And that's such an important thing when it comes to trauma, like this, just this idea that, it is different to be a child and go through something and then be an adult and look back at the thing that you went through. There are two right. fully different things. And I loved that scene because it just captured that perfectly. And yeah, it obviously humanized Peter Quint, which we did need to see. Like I liked seeing him humanized mm-hmm. and I liked seeing that really like laid out like this concept of like, you know what, like when I was a kid, it was different, but having to re like experience right. over and over again as an adult is worse right. because I have a different point of reference. Yeah. Yeah. It was such an excellent balance of humanizing him without asking us to excuse his. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. Which is like ultimately such a powerful thing, you know, outside of the realm of, movies and tv and content right especially now that we're just sort of inundated with stories of like here's this person that everybody assumes was bad but like let's tell the real story of what was going on with them and then it you know like with maleficent or i mean i could go i could go on about (laughs) about this topic specifically but there are just so many things it's so popular right now in our culture to give backstories to beloved characters or maligned characters and ultimately it just completely it either totally changes their story or it makes you relate to them in such a way that you're like okay well now you're you don't even serve the function in the story that you were meant to serve yeah. you've you've gone from making them human to making them totally endearing and now i excuse all of their behavior yeah. and now they've just, now they're just a, a completely different character i think that was a big thing that happened uh, last year with joker that made me so uneasy yeah that movie. yes 
Oh God, I could go off about Joker, but we're not gonna. One go. day, one day <laughs> right, we'll yeah. off on Joker, but this today yeah. we're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I totally agree, and I I do think it's just a valuable exercise to take into the outside world in terms of you know we want we want so badly for there to be a good guy and a bad guy. We want it makes so sense for the world, yeah. Yeah, we want it. Our our human brains want it so bad. But it's not the way it works. And like, so finding exactly finding that balance of like, really humanizing a character and like, being able to connect with a character, and still, yeah, not fully excuse them, that that, uh, that gray area, that nuanced area, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's the only way you can approach a fully formed character or a fully formed human, right? Like no one is just a good guy and no one is just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. and, um, and even though Peter Quint was probably more so the bad guy in the show, like there were moments where, where you, you connect with him. Also, he's stupid hot. So like, there's, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't hurt. That certainly doesn't, doesn't hurt. hurt. There are moments where I was like, yeah, yeah, I would have fallen for that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have fallen for Hannah Gross, one hundred percent. I think I, I, think I already did. Yeah, she's oh yeah, she's she's queen like. Yeah. And Owen, I fell for Owen too. And Owen, I love Owen yeah. too. Owen was too good for this world, too pure. Oh yeah. man. Oh, anyway. Well, should we transition into our topic of the show? Because we are 40 sure. minutes in. 40 minutes in. 40 <laughs> minutes in. Talk about Blind Manor for like... Welcome Ooh. to Blindcast. This is Brian Boy and Corey in, in the, the gang. <laughs> Corey and the Funky Bunch. We're talking about Blind Manor. Yeah, let's take a quick little break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our actual topic which I'm also incredibly excited to talk about. Why growing up Catholic makes you spooky. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have returned. It is Corey, Brian, and Connor here to talk to you about Catholicism. In like a very specific sense. We're not here to preach or, or give you the, the, the good word. <laughs> We're here to talk about how... <laughs> All the Catholicism. <laughs> We're episode... What is this? 10? <laughs> Take this opportunity to sit you down and say, Hey, have you heard about... Our good Lord. No, we're talking about how growing up Catholic, there might be a correlation between that and uh, you being a very spooky person. Yes, specifically why growing up Catholic makes you spooky. It's a topic I think we touched on a little bit in some previous episodes. And it's a topic that people seem interested in. I feel like we've gotten listeners that are just like, Catholics be creepy. I want to talk about this. So library's open. Let's get, let's read yeah. it. Let's- yeah. So you've got three, three Catholic children here. <laughs> 
We three Catholic children. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Catholic joke. (laughs) So yeah, let's start off by just giving a quick background of our Catholic childhoods. Let's start off with you, Connor, our our very wonderful guest. What was your Catholic childhood like? So I grew up in a small coastal town in Oregon called Coos Bay. And the Catholic Church was in walking distance of my house, St. Monica's Catholic Church. And my mother came from a very large Catholic family. She has seven siblings. She has five brothers and uh, two sisters. So my grandparents on my mother's side had eight children. And actually, my grandfather grew up uh, or at at least spent some time in his uh, childhood in uh, Sioux Falls. Ooh, that's where I am right Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where we grew up. <laughs> yeah, so so very, yeah, very like Midwest Catholic roots. Yeah, and so it was always a big, a large, a large part of my life. I was an altar server growing up. I, you know, went through the whole, the whole deal. I went through mm-hmm. confirmation as a teenager. St. Francis de Salle is my confirmation name. Oh. Because fine. he's the patron saint of writers, I think I, which like was not a bad idea at the time, but I feel like I've learned about many more interesting saints since then. I, I could have picked a saint that had been like flayed alive, but no. Um, there's a lot of them. Yeah, and there's, yeah, strangely, there's a lot of them. That's kind of my Catholic background. Lots of catechism classes and, uh, you know, retreats to places where you meet up with, you know, the other Catholic kids going to Catholic churches in your state or whatever, or like in Mm -hmm. nearby towns. What about you, Corey? What was, uh, what was it like growing up? (sighs) Um, so I grew up in Iowa, in Sioux City, Iowa, and I, um, come from a, a large, uh, you know, Irish Catholic family. My father is one of 10 children. And um, all of those children went to Catholic school in Sioux City, Mm -hmm. Iowa. And then I went to Catholic school in Sioux City, Mm -hmm. Iowa. (laughs) Yeah, so I grew up going to Catholic school. I went to Catholic school through sixth grade. And then I I transferred to public school. My Catholic upbringing was interesting because... So my dad grew up in a Catholic family, but my mom didn't grow up in a Catholic family. She actually grew up in a Lutheran family. But like when I was a Mm. kid, she wasn't really like into the whole Jesus thing. Honestly, I I was put in Catholic school because it was just like this, this smaller class sizes, like it'll be good. (laughs) The perks. (laughs) I had an interesting experience because I was in Catholic school. I obviously went to church every Friday in Catholic school, mm-hmm. but I didn't go to church on Sundays super often, which was interesting, which was kind of weird. Like, cause you know, I did sometimes, but like, yeah, my parents just weren't like super into it. I got church while I was in school and that was like enough. <laughs> you were like once a week is good enough for me. Thank you. <laughs> I moved to public school in middle school and then It was still kind of a thing, like every once in a while, you know, I'd go to church with my family and like, like the big days, you know, the Christmas and the Easter and the holy days of obligation, if you will. (laughs) And then I don't know, high school was interesting. I never officially got confirmed because I kind of just stopped. I just like fell off. So I never got confirmed, but I did all the other stuff. I did like reconciliation 
And then I had a moment, I don't know if you even remember this, Brian, but I had a moment in college where I like got back into Catholicism for a second. I have no memory of this, no. (laughs) (laughs) You, Gandalf, I have no memory of this place. (laughs) This a memory to you, you're like, I have no idea. But but I did, I got back into Catholicism for a minute. And I know at the time, Brian, you were still kind of into it because I remember talking to you. And you were like, yeah, like, we'll go to church together. And we totally. Oh, wait. This was freshman year. Okay. Yeah, I remember this. This was yeah, like we- early. College. And like, this is freshman year. That didn't count. That's not real college. <laughs> That's just like guilt, like trickling over, you know? That's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was older than you. So I was like sophomore, junior year. But it was just like a brief thing. It was like a, I, I revisited it. And like, you and I went to church a few times together, 100%. I don't know what that was about, but. <laughs> didn't last long. so yeah and and then i I mean like i trickled out in high school and then i and i revisited it briefly and then i trickled out of it again for me my catholicism has been a very like uh sporadic presence type of thing and Mm. even when i was a child in catholic school that's kind of how it was because like i didn't have a a family like that was super into being Catholic. That's also the thing about, uh, you know, being like Irish Catholic. There's a joke by Jim Gaffigan where he yes. like, talks about like being Irish Catholic. And it's like, it's not, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like I one Irish Catholics like to party. So that's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Irish Catholics really like to drink and like, be like, yeah, we're Catholic, but like, that's about it. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not at least in my upbringing it wasn't something that was like that big of a deal i guess it was just like yeah we're catholic Mm. you know like it wasn't it wasn't something we like held on to super strongly and one thing i'm actually very grateful for in my upbringing as like a kind of poor irish catholic is like we weren't judgmental of people that weren't catholic like we were very like this is what and then like other people had other beliefs and we're like cool like it was like very chill that totally (laughs) resonates yeah and then like as I got older I realized that was not the case for some people and so like in certain ways yeah I had a a chill Catholic upbringing but as we will get into it was also uh very scary in a lot of ways Brian tell us about your Catholic Catholic upbringing is super Catholic my my name is Brian Muldoon very good (laughs) Oh, where are you from, Brian? Uh, Ireland. Uh, oh. Very Irish Catholic. I We're shocked. <laughs> shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Yeah. I went to Catholic school from first grade all the way through high school. My God. College was the first time I didn't have to wear a uniform, and it freaked me out <gasps> at first. I got confirmed. I did everything. I went to church every Friday. We we also went to church on the weekends, although it was always like a kind of game where you you, you slept in just long enough you could you could get away with it, you know. Oh, or the like. <laughs> but sometimes it would hit the eleven o'clock mass, and it would hit ten forty eight, and you're like, okay, I think I'm good. And you get up, and everyone's like, oh, you're up. Let's go to church. I'm like, Fuck. Wait. Were you, really 11, that. <laughs> were you in the eleven o'clock mass? Family? We were definitely an eleven family. Yeah, oh, we were an eight thirty family. Uh, in them, oh yuck! Yeah. But, then, but then you're playing with fire because if you miss the eleven and they're still jazzed about it later in the day, they might take you to the Sunday night mass, and that was the cool oh. youth rock and roll mass, and that's oh, just yeah. ten times worse. So much worse. So much worse. Yeah, we can all agree, rock and roll mass is no. the worst idea. Non traditional church music. I'm like right to jail. 
right, yeah. to, right to jail. When she put right the away. organ away, I'm staying away. Yeah. For real, um, I want to hear the weird organ shit. I want to hear the Latin. Like, I do no, not. I need to be transported to medieval times, or it's a no go <laughs> from me. Put that tambourine away. I do not. Yeah. Want. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Unplug that guitar from the amp. Get out. Oh yeah. Oh god. Why is that it such a wild. thing? Why do we all have that experience? Because it gets the youth in there, you know? <laughs> it's for the youths. But that, yeah, so that was my upbringing. Very, very Catholic. I even early high school was considering being a priest for a minute. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. yes. And I went and did uh, did a tour of a seminary in high school. And that was a, that was a quick wake-up call of like, hold on. <laughs> this is not what I want. Um, Honestly, I still think about doing that. Do you really visiting a seminary or becoming a priest? I just think that I would have been very good at it. And I don't and doubt like, that. Oh, I, could, I could, and I get to wear nice robes. Like, what's not to love? <laughs> we, we, but of that weekend, I probably sat for like at least ten to twelve hours just in silence with a group of like men. And just oh, no. doing I'm, I'm nothing. Gonna, <laughs> no. I'm going to ask too many questions. I'm going to run my mouth. Yeah, that that <laughs> was not that was not the atmosphere there. That was very yeah. much where you're going to sit here and like it yeah so that was that was my my catholic upbringing so this we'll be coming from different places i guess we're or cory you kind of dropped off in middle school you said right yeah but like i said i revisited it because i remember right, right. i remember meeting you in undergrad and i remember you telling me that you were like thinking about being a priest and i we had a whole moment you and i of, of like <laughs> maybe of catholics like, are they they get it maybe yeah. Like we had a whole like Catholic moment in undergrad. Yeah, uh, I feel Catholic like moment. that's a good band name, actually. Catholic moment. A Catholic moment. <laughs> that's the band that plays at the evening mass for the children. And then also I studied art history. I have a I have a master's degree in art history and there is a lot of Catholicism in yes. art history. <laughs> really? I never yeah. I never would have thought that that <laughs> <laughs> Catholic art would have been a big part of it. <laughs> Madonna and Child's painted. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished reading a whole book about it. Um, and that's been just an interesting thing in, yeah, I guess my intellectual life is being like, oh, I was like primed for this shit, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And then, and then taking college and grad school level courses about it. So Catholicism it has always been very present in my life. And also I didn't feel tied to it the way a lot of people did, even when I was a child, because my parents weren't super into it. You know what I mean? So it's always been like this thing that was a part of me and that I identified with and that I know about and that I have lots of memories with, but like also I always felt separate from it too. And that's still how I feel. Like I still feel very when people bring up Catholicism, I get excited. Like I feel there's that, uh, that John Mulaney joke. He brings up Catholicism and he's like, if you're not Catholic, I don't mean to exclude you, even though we love to exclude we you. Love <laughs> oh, we love it. Because Catholicism was like a little club and I've always felt yes. like a part of that club and that it resonates with me. But yet I, I've always towed the line of like secular and Catholic in a very yes. real way. Yes. I still have like a kind of romantic relationship with it in that like I I love a lot of the art. I love the churches. I love being in a big yeah. Catholic church. It's it's once you get into the doctrine again that I get 
un- nervous because that's, I've come a long way in my growing, I feel like, and, and going back and seeing stuff no. that flew and stuff that I was, you know, raised on in the imagery. It's like, shit, dude, no wonder I'm, I'm a spooky dude. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely my um, feelings too. Like I still 100% can walk into a Catholic church and very much have a spiritual experience. I think Catholic churches are beautiful Anytime I have been in one, it does feel spiritual to me. I'm a pretty anti-dogma person. The idea, but like going into a Catholic church and just taking in the beauty of it and like the ritual of it, that is a, a, a very enjoyable experience for me. And that's also kind of, I think, where I, I draw my line. I'm like, this is this is good. And then, you know, I kind of step away when it gets too dogmatic. Well, that might be a good entry point talking about the ritual of it and talking about why do you think this makes us, is there a correlation to that that growing up Catholic makes us more prone to spooky things? Because a lot of the, a lot of the rituals that we do throughout the mass are, you know, there was, I was looking up research for this and I did see this psychology today article talking about like the macabre side of growing up. I, I literally I have that article up. At the you same have that time. too. Awesome, <laughs> yeah. cool. It was a fast. It was a great primer going into this because it made me think about. Oh yeah, that was messed up too. Oh shit, yeah, that was really messed up. But oh, I love the the, the yeah the quote that he starts off right away by saying, "This is by Dr. Frank T. McAndrew, by the way. Got a site source, and he says there's an old saying that fish are the last to discover the sea, and what they mean by that is that when we are completely surrounded by something that seems normal to the point of being invisible, and then we become oblivious to how it appears to outsiders. And so like growing up in just the ritual and the patterns of the mass that like, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we, we take this, uh, this loaf of bread. That's really just kind of like cardboard. And then we say, Mm -hmm. uh, gee, this is now Jesus. And then we all eat them. Um, and then we, we take some Welch's and then we say, this is his blood. And then we drink his blood. And, uh, at some point, they say in the mass, you know, we have sinned, we have sinned, we have gravely sinned while striking ourselves doing it. You know, there, there's all these different like ritualized actions that we are not told it's symbolic. It's it's actually happening. You know, we're actually right. drinking the blood of Christ. We're actually eating. This isn't like a, oh yeah, this is like a fun play we're doing. It's like, no, it was, we're the action that we were doing. We we're replicating what right. we did at the last supper. Okay, question. Mm-hmm. Question. Yeah. Did you guys ever buy that shit though? Because like when I was a kid, I was like, okay, I'm uh, I'm not obviously drinking blood. Like, totally, oh, I, def- totally oh, I definitely it. did. Oh my god, totally yeah. bought it. Yeah. Really? Oh yes. yeah. And, oh and my god. Yes. That, on top of that, I like secretly looked down on like other Christian denominations because I was like, you're drinking grape juice. Like it's <laughs> not even actual. I was like, that's not even. Pur- I was like, what's the purpose of like doing sort of like I guess like physical lip service to this? I was like. Yeah. It's not, that's not a real ritual. It's like, it's not a real ritual, like, unless it's actually being changed into his body and changed into his blood. I was like, then any, but then I could just be like, this peanut butter and jelly sandwich is the, you know, like. <laughs> is that, the Eucharist, yeah. <laughs> right, like, that's, bre- yeah, that, like, the, yeah, our understanding of what sacraments are was just so much more involved and so much more embodied right. than other denominations. And so I was sort of like, I don't know, I feel like you're 
it's a game to you or something like that's not like what am i supposed to latch on to you've taken all the fun out of this right i definitely i i totally bought into it in that like i remember being frustrated as a kid because hearing my teachers and the and the the pastors and the nuns telling us in school about the miracle of what's happening this is an actual the greatest thing that's happening it's becoming the body and blood of christ and i remember sitting in mass watching like I just can't see it though. I can't, I can't, yes. w- w- when is it happening? I know it's happening. You're right. telling me it's happening, but I, I, am I missing it? You know, and, right. and it I will would make say me it, frustrated. Yes. It wasn't easy to accept, but it was something that I, that I wanted to accept all the time. Yes. I, I feel that. I definitely feel that. I remember like finding out that people from other like Christian denominations, Protestants and stuff were like just drinking grape juice. And I was like, what? Like, what the hell? <laughs> Like we were drinking actual wine. We were children drinking. We yeah. were drinking boxed wine like yeah. adults, you know? Yeah. That's in itself, I feel like it's like full stop. We were children drinking wine. Chaff and children. Chaff and children. And that in itself is kind of just like metal. Like that's pretty badass. <laughs> and you yes. have metal doing it. You're like, well, Catholicism yeah. is very metal. It is. It is, it is um, very metal. And then so I I guess I do I mean, I was I was into the the symbolism of it, and I definitely had those like spiritual moments of like I'm accepting this as the body of Christ, and I'm accepting this as as the blood of Christ, and that gives it power. Mm-hmm, like, so I right. definitely had moments of like this is a powerful thing, but I guess I still always saw it as a symbol. I mm. still always was like, this isn't actually like like it was like a. It was different. Yeah, it was different than. Well, I feel like I feel like the disappointment or like the the letdown of it was that you would imagine that okay, if this is actually the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, when I consume it, I should be able to notice a change in myself, and yeah, that should, should be. and that yeah. should stay with me for days to come. You know, like there should be some sort of like physical thing that I felt, and maybe some people do. Or, you know, maybe people have a different sort of religious experience with the Eucharist than, than I had, but I was always like yearning for like, okay, like if this were magic, if this were a potion, if you know, something else like I, it would be much more obvious. It wouldn't be so subtle. And it's hard to grasp with, to grapple with subtlety when you're a child being told something that sounds so explicit. Right. Did you ever feel like you had little moments of magic? Because I guess I did feel like, like right when I took it, it felt like a little, like a little zap, like a little, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I I don't, I, I, I don't recall any, and I feel like if I did come up with anything, it would have just been like a result of my desperation to yeah. do yeah. something that I would have like would have just been like a placebo effect or something. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, and I I agree with that completely because I think the placebo effect is the most powerful effect in the world. You know, so I. <laughs> I definitely think my willingness to believe it made the magic happen. I had those moments of magic. I had those moments of like, I'm feeling this, but it was always like very brief. And I guess I just, even as a child, I always understood the symbolism of it. Like I always understood that I'm having a spiritual connection, but like, I'm not actually eating flesh and I'm not actually drinking blood. Right. Well, and I feel like you have to, with children, you have to approach it at least first from a symbolic way before you like get them into like 
okay, but actually, like, this is how we're introducing it to you before you actually learn. This is the real belief behind what we think it is. What we think but I think, doing. yeah, that's the first step in what we're talking <clears throat> about. No, I, maybe this made us spooky is because we're introduced that this at such a young age before we even like, yeah. you're, you're just giving kids live ammo with like, yeah, you're eating flesh and blood of Christ. And you're like, yeah. what? And they're like, yeah, we'll tell you when you get older, yeah. you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into it later. But right now, this is what you're doing. Also, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, so. we, we believe in all of it. And I think this, we touched on a really big part of this is this, uh, this yearning and this deep wanting to believe in it that I think is still residual today that even though I'm not part of the faith anymore, I love I love the horror genre and of the spiritual and all this stuff because there's still this like I, I spent so much of my life wanting to believe in this like spooky, you know, um, higher power devil, all this stuff mm-hmm. that th- there's a place to kind of put it now, you know, that right. I, I still don't believe in ghosts, but there's I love ghost stories because I spent my whole life, you know, kind of believing in, God, I ghosts, wish I believe you know, in ghosts. Yeah. I do, too. But I but that but I the ghost stories are still my favorite of any story because I think don't think in mo- no small part my Catholic upbringing. Another thing I wanted to bring up is like the shit I did all the time every week of my life as a small child in Catholic school is way creepier than anything I've ever done as like a witch. (laughs) In terms of my like witchcraft practice, I just like collect leaves and rocks. <laughs> leaves, rocks, light a candle, you know, like it's <laughs> all pretty tame. You're just like a bridge troll. I, yeah, yeah. I give little offerings to like nature. And the shit I did as a Catholic child was fucking creepy. But I'm, yeah. but I'm gonna argue that it, what it sounds like the stuff that you're doing as a witch is like very Catholic. Because it's recognizing, right, like the like the innate divinity of the things that you are interacting with in the world. Like yeah. you're collecting leaves because like they're endowed with something. Like these these have significance to them, and so there's still like a Catholic sentimentality that you are bringing to your mm. witchcraft practice. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it because I feel like my relationship to Catholicism and my relationship to like witchcraft and spirituality now is very similar like they're very related even though like like i said i i don't i can't get on board with like the catholic christian dogma but the concepts the like the spiritual like moments of connection that was i always loved that shit even as a small child I have I have a memory actually of being I was probably in first grade like I was like seven years old and I remember sitting in my living room and there was a some kind of like history channel show about it was around Easter and so it was about the crucifixion like it was about the Mm. crucifixion Christ and the resurrection and I was like sitting there watching it and I was like right up like right up on like super close to the tv and I remember like my mom walking into the living room and being like you're really into this aren't you <laughs> man. and I was like yeah <laughs> like because like I said like my mom wasn't really into Catholicism and like I was it was very much in a spiritual way and not in like a dogmatic way it was like in a like I'm interested in this like spirituality aspect and this like like resurrection and death and like all of these like heavy themes that are at play Mm -hmm. and i'm still interested in today 
I just don't uh, identify as a Catholic. I don't, you know, I haven't, I don't go to church, but like, I'm still interested in those exact same themes and they definitely play into my spiritual practice now. And I'm just way more comfortable with the terminology of like witchcraft and being a witch because it's a lot more open than Right. Yeah. It doesn't have so much structure on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So no, I I mean, I think you're totally right. I think the things I was attracted to as a spooky Catholic child, (laughs) I'm like attracted to as a, you know, spooky uh, adult witch now, you know, I think they're very related for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes so much sense that, that Catholicism is, is attractive to children because so much of it is, rooted in story mm-hmm. and so it it just really works your imagination and you get you get hooked with that first yeah i mean it's a lot of morality stories morality plays yeah. and morality um that and, they're all these little nursery rhymes almost they're much more graphic right. but they, that's right. essentially what they are and the church itself is like uh just a house for story you know like the stained glass window like everything about it is telling mm-hmm. you a story like it's all feeding you Yes. some sort of narrative at, like down to the tiniest detail it's all just like this house of storytelling and i love that we're in the storytelling part because then we're talking also about the art of all of this and we're so we were so saturated as kids with all of this catholic art that was not chill you know this is like, <laughs> like yeah it's so graphic yeah so graphic that in every every catholic church you're gonna see the, the one big mannequin crucified to a cross in front you know that's that's like a staple of every church you're see that a, a, a dead man nailed to a cross with a spear you know in his side were you too judgmental about um other crucifixes that you saw in what way in that like mm, that jesus looks dumb or bad <laughs> like this is ugly That's a <laughs> you know? yeah <laughs> yeah like i would go to other churches and i would like judge their huge crucifix yeah. I'd be like, wow, that's a terrible card. Very territorial about your own crucifix. Yeah, I was just like, it needs to look right. <laughs> I definitely had experiences where I'd go to other churches, like Protestant churches or churches that weren't Catholic, and I'd be like disappointed because Catholic churches were just so grandiose and mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah, stained glass and the paintings. And I have literally some of my earliest memories as a human being like some of my earliest human memories are of being like this small child in a pew eating rye cheerios Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. staring up at these incredible images these beautiful paintings painted on ceilings and Mm -hmm. like these stained glass windows and like that's what I you know that's what I do in church as a child you'd have your snacks and yeah. like you know what was going on and you just look you just look at all the pictures and you'd look at the colors and like I was so fixated on that stuff and then I in my like teenage years I would I remember going to church with friends that like weren't Catholic and just being like this is your church <laughs> like Right. Yeah. Being really disappointed. Yeah. I think you hit on something really big too, that when you weren't just looking at pictures and like cool things on the walls, these were like grand, like awe inspiring pictures, you know, that. Yeah. It's not shitty art. <laughs> yeah. That, like that, that, that depicts some really dark imagery. So like this, yeah. from a very young age, we are in awe at such macabre things, you know, that, 
uh, were looking at like the, uh, the the church that I had had the stations of the cross, you know, going yeah. around the church, and they mm-hmm. they were lit by candles, and there was bright lighting, very moody, and I was like, my gosh, this is so like this is so spiritual. But all the pictures they're de- depicting the agony in the garden, or the scourging at the pillar, or the crowning of thorns, you know, like right. all of them are such like violent images, but they're presented in such like awe inspiring ways that from yeah. a kid I was like, wow, this is amazing. So even though I'm out of the faith, I maybe can connect my love of horror being like well from a young age i thought horror was awesome you know yeah i i remember telling a friend of mine who didn't grow up catholic one time very nonchalantly i brought up how like around you know easter like lent like we would every week we do the stations of the cross we we'd go to church during school like during school time you go into the church and you go through and you, you read from your book and you look at each image of the stations of the cross. And I never thought anything of that. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine was like, what? <laughs> yeah. There's a sort of like contemplation of like really taking time with each one and trying to like internalize like what's actually happening yeah. in this moment. Yeah. And being and you know, that's not chill. <laughs> like being a kid and really contemplating what's happening here at this scourging of the pillar. What's happening? You know, like right. there's, there were better things for me to contemplate at age eight than that, you know? Right. Not that there like isn't a good way to do it, but I'm sure most of the ways that people tried to introduce that to children probably didn't go over in the way that they wanted it to. <laughs> All right, little bit of an abrupt break there, but that is the end of part one of our two-parter on why growing up Catholic makes you spooky. Be on the lookout later this week for part two, where we get into everything from ashes to relics to stigmata, all sorts of creepy things. Thanks for listening. 